I re- I see myself more as an image maker, not a photographer. I just happen to use a camera because it's a tool that's easy to use. Uh, but I, as I obviously often mix it with. This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, the upcoming printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today I am talking with Michael Jansen. Michael has one of the most creative and most unique approaches to thinking about images, to thinking about photography that I've come across ever. Uh, His work is known all around the world. It's been in thousands of articles and books and magazines, galleries. Uh, His work has been exhibited at the National Building Museum, the Canadian Center for Architecture, the Harvard School of Design and Architecture, the Museum of Modern Art, and just about everywhere else. Michael, good morning and welcome. Good morning. Glad to be here. You're out in Santa Fe this morning. Is it bright and sunny as I imagine it would be? Bright and sunny. It's about 60 degrees. <laughs> oh, that, that's an absolutely perfect morning down there. Yeah, we love it here. You have an approach to photography unlike anybody else that I've seen. And you've said on your website and other places that you want to reinvent the built environment in order to extend the reach of consciousness. I'd like to, you know, if if we could start with that sort of mission statement and unpack it a little bit, reinvent the built environment. What what do you mean by that? And then extend the reach of consciousness. What do you mean by that? I'm not an architect, by the way. Uh, I'm an artist who often uses architecture as an art form, but my only interest in architecture is to reinvent it. One of my great heroes from the past is uh, Bucky Fuller, who I knew and admired him for that, mainly for that reason. He tried to invent, reinvent everything that he came in contact with, especially uh, shelter, the built environment. He had a similar kind of philosophy. He wanted to not really create architecture, but but reinvent the built environment and in doing so make it, you know, more like a, a consciousness raising device that you you happen to live in so that the architecture the aesthetics come from the the reinvention so uh, and and not based on style but how do you think about shelter for instance or the built environment in general in a new way you know what what else can it do but keep the rain off your head and keep you warm or cool uh, how can it become a, a machine or a device that really helps you become more aware of your local environment and the global and the, and the universe uh, as well, uh, so that it becomes something much more than just another style uh, that's based on other people's work and, uh, you know, arbitrary things. Are you trying to reinvent our expectations or our relationship with built environment or just see where the new boundaries might be? Yeah, all of that. Often, for instance, in my work, that that work, I like to incorporate the latest technology and see how it can be sort of plugged into the built environment to allow you to become, again, as I said, more aware of everything that's going on around you, some of which has a direct effect on 
how the, the, the shelter functions in keeping you warm, cool, and so forth, but also extends out to uh, technology that shows you what's going on literally around the world with the internet and, and that kind of thing. It's a little hard to explain, but uh, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's best to look at some of the work. There's a, there's a project I did many years ago called the uh, Malibu Video Beach House that, that looks at, at a lot of these issues. And it was designed, I, I lived in California for a long time. And uh, one day I was driving down the Pacific Coast Highway in Malibu, and I was kind of frustrated by all these houses uh, that were blocking the view of the ocean. And then all of a sudden I came onto a, a vacant lot where I could, uh, for a few seconds, see the ocean. So I thought, what if I, if I was going to build a house there, I would make the, the, the front of it or the, the, that's facing the road a giant video screen. And I would put cameras out in front of the house in real time that were recording the beach and setting that, that information back to that screen. So in a sense, the house disappears and you're looking through it because the video wall is showing you what is on the other side. And then uh, on the other side of the video wall, there would be an actual physical house that you lived in. Uh, that's kind of one example. That would be a fantastic idea. That That's similar uh, to something that struck me on your website, and that's the New Mexico Landscape House. Yes. The first time I saw that, I thought it was a bunch of mirrors, actually. And then, you know, looking a little bit closer, I realized you have a unconventionally shaped house clad in photographs of the landscape that it's sitting in. Uh, tell me the story of that design and, and that project. Well, that, that's a good example because that actually came from this video house thinking of, you know, how could I do a similar thing with photos? I actually did another version with mirrors, the same kind of thing. But I like the idea of uh, creating this, uh, you could call it a house or a sculpture, where all the surfaces, what I did first was to photograph a panoramic view around this structure and then put all those photos onto the, the sculpture or the house so that it is essentially reflecting the landscape around it. But unlike mirrors, it's set in time. So one of the interesting aspects of that for me was if that structure were to, to stay there year-round, for instance, the landscape around it would, would change, but it would stay fixed based on when you, when you took those photographs. But um, so the idea there was to think about photography and taking you know, photographs in general to another place where it becomes three-dimensional, and you begin to play with the photos conceptually with uh, you know where they were taken but there's another one similar to that where i started with a just a basic cube and i photographed again all around where the cube was pl placed all around the perimeter and up at the sky and also down at the, at the ground plane and put all of those photos onto the cube uh, on every surface but then i subdivided each face of the cube, and, and the photos were on the inside of the cube and the outside of the skin of the cube, so that you could actually fracture the landscape by folding 
those panels that had the photos on them, uh, you could change the shape of the landscape by moving the panels of the cube around into different configurations. So you're actually then uh, manipulating the the landscape. This is the one called the Folding Landscape Pavilion. Is that right? Yes. Uh, it is, again, a, a piece that struck me really hard when I first looked at it. Y your work really does ask the viewers to be in a new relationship with the images. It's a completely creative, I think, or way to think about the relationship between the image, the artist, and then the audience. Right. That leads me then to some of the work that, you know, you were very well known for, and that's these images of um, structures that you've taken a photograph or, or received a photograph and then put it in your computer and made it fluid, made it fractured, made it whatever, and then put it back in the environment. Where, where did that idea come from? And, and tell me what you're after with those. You know, I started taking photographs many, many years ago, uh, and I started by just documenting my uh, my structures. I make a lot of models, physical models of these ideas, uh, these different kinds of structures uh, or, and sculptures. And, and so I just started photographing those, just pure documentation, so I'd have them in uh, my portfolio. And then at some point, I start thinking, well, these photos look kind of interesting on their own. So I should begin to play with just with the uh, photos or the composites and see where that goes. The deconstruction series that you're referring to actually came from the structures, things like the M House, where I create a, a farm relatively simple form, a cube or whatever, and then I fr uh, fragment it, like we were talking about earlier, and hinge, hinge these panels in such a way that you can change the shape of the structure. So that led to thinking about what can you do with just the photo. If you take a photo of an object, for instance, and you isolate that, that object in the photo, and then if you put it into another landscape, for instance, and fragment it in the same way I was talking about with the architecture so that you break the, the form up and then create a new thing from that. My ultimate goal with all of this is to create interesting images. I don't care how they're done. I have no interest whatsoever in conventional photography, for instance. To me, you know, who cares how it was made? If you're into conventional photography as a craft, that's a different thing. But I've never been interested in that. I've only been interested in, in creating new things. Art, to me, really needs to be innovative and new. For me, if, if it isn't, it, it's not art. Uh, that's a great criteria for me. So I'm always searching new ways of creating images, structures, sculptures, whatever. That's always been the main focus. I, I had to laugh a little bit because on, on one of the websites, people were claiming that these structures had actually been built. And somebody had to go in there and say, no, 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 the, the, these are pieces of art. The, these are images. But I think people look at these and actually want them to be real. They, they want this kind of reinvented relationship. Well, you know, when people look at your images of, of buildings that have been deconstructed, what is it you're asking of, of their you know, head and heart when they look at that? What kind of a response do you imagine people have? 
Well, I'm, I'm hoping that, that like in all my work, I want the, the, the viewer to be a participant to take what I've done and, and move on with it, uh, whether it's to create a story around it of, you know, what is this thing? How did it, how did it occur? What's it about? That's what I'm after. And I don't care how they, they interpret it. You know, in most cases, I'm not trying to, to say any specific thing. I mean, sometimes I am. I mean, it, it, it's very fluid. But uh, in most cases, I want people to be inspired to create their own stories. And to, to that, I think that's what art is all about or should be about. Again, sometimes I am very specific about something if I'm making a comment about a specific thing. But in most cases, I don't intend to say anything specific. This, you know, like this is what this thing is. I want you to tell me or to tell yourself and have fun with it and play with it. It's really, I, th- I think, powerful work, and especially in the, the suburban settings of the deconstruction series, because I look at those houses and oftentimes that's how I feel about the houses that either I live in or I'm visiting or whatever. They are a collection of stories and challenges and repairs that need to be made or things that I'm proud of. They don't look that way, but you've managed to create, I think, an emotional reality out of the deconstructed images. I look at them and I think that's right. That, that, that's what that house looks like. Yeah. And, uh, and often I'll put those deconstructed houses or whatever there are, the different things. I did the series with churches and the houses and, and uh, objects and landscapes. And often I'll put those things into a normal, what would be considered a normal scene or landscape uh, as a contrast. And uh, that works very well, too. You know, contrast, um, unexpected, but there's always something in your work that, at least for me, I look at it, it's completely fresh, but absolutely true. It's, it's sort of like reading a, you know, a great new love poem. You think, oh, they got it right. I didn't think of it that way before, but you know, I didn't know I knew that is sort of the, the feeling uh, that you get. Well, yeah, I'm always trying to reinvent. And uh, the keys to this for me has always been, uh, and I'm often asked, well, where do you come up with all these ideas? And uh, I have a, a very specific method where I'll do a project and then I take a great deal of time looking at it and thinking about how else I could think about that specific thing. And what happens if you turn literally turn it upside down or think of it in a different scale or a different color, a different way. And then often a whole other project evolves on its own from that and then uh, grows into something else. And then I do the same goes through the same process with that and it leads to something else and and uh, so the key is to always keep open and not be too uh, fixed on on the original idea thinking that that's the way it's going to be no matter what I allow the thing to go where it wants to go to lead me on to something else that I would never have thought of I, that sounds very much like the creative process of people that are uh, writing novels um, they begin, they have a set of characters and you say, what's going to happen at the end? And they say, I don't know. You know, I'll figure that out you know, when I get there. How, I love this notion of, of beginning a project and then asking yourself how else as a kind of creative philosophic foundation for the work. Yeah, I'll, I'll, 
clearly do that with like three-dimensional work where if I'm doing a sculpture or a building or whatever, I'll go through exercises like taking that, again, these models that I build and holding up to a mirror and looking at that double reflection and seeing if it suggests a, a whole other thing I could go to. One of the processes that I like a lot that involves the, uh, uh, photography is I'll do make a model of a project, a sculpture or a building or something, take a picture of it and isolate it, put it in my computer in Photoshop and play with that image, warp it, distort it in one way or another. And when I get to a point with something, an image I like, I'll either take that image and put it into a landscape or whatever, or in some cases, I'll actually build a, a 3D physical representation of that warped image. Make, in other words, make another model of the warped photo, and then I'll take that uh, three-dimensional object and photograph it again, and then play with it even more so you can, that, that process could go on and on and on. So each time you, you're evolving into making a new thing from the old thing. Do, do you find it difficult to move between 3D and 2D when you're doing that kind of process? Or is it all sort of held up in the air in your head? Yeah, it's, it's all mingled together. And I'm constantly going back and forth uh, from one thing suggesting an opportunity uh, in another direction, you know, from 2D to 3D, 3D back to 2D and so on. So there's always a very rich menu there that I'm editing. And that's the key, I think, editing to keep the process going. And the only problem with it is you end up with so many things that it's very difficult to edit. <laughs> well, you, you know, people that do um, woodcuts and prints, they, they have all their, their studio proofs before they're done. And they can wind up with 75 of those. So you just need to keep every version of every, every project. I'd often go back to things I did many, many years ago, uh, see them in a new way. Then they begin to evolve into something else as well. Tell me a little bit about the series that you call Masquerading Animals. Uh, one of those is up on the Frames website. And I remember the, the one that, uh, or when that came up, again, just really pausing and thinking, again, th there was that shock of a new relationship between uh, myself as, as the viewer and the image I was looking at. The one image itself that's up on the Frames website, if you could tell me that story, and tell me about the series as well. What's going on? Well, there again, that started with three-dimensional objects. Those masks I created from sculptures and uh, architecture models and so forth, where, I, again, that going through that process of uh, photographing the object and uh, putting it in the computer, usually in Photoshop, then in most cases, uh, dividing the image in half flipping it and creating a symmetrical image. And what I've been intrigued with for, I've done this in a lot of other series as well, but I've always been intrigued with how when you often, when, when you create a, a symmetrical image, a face appears very often. So I, uh, I, I did that and then I, I heightened it even more by taking some photographs of my own eyes and putting those in the, place where the, I, you know, where the eyes would be uh, in the mask. And then I thought it would be fun to, to actually think about 
those as masks. And I started out originally putting them on, on images of people. But then I thought it would be even more interesting, intriguing to, because you don't often see masks on animals, to put the masks on, on animals. So I, you know, got a bunch of pictures of some, took myself and others I, I uh, uh, obtained from others uh, of animals. Uh, I went to the zoo one day, for instance, took a bunch of pictures, including the gorilla that you're referring to. And, um, you know, looked around for the, I had created a whole menu of masks. I picked one that I thought was most appropriate for that animal. And then of course, uh, stuck it on the animal. And in that case, uh, it started out with uh, an image of the, the gorilla I took in the, at the zoo, uh, actually in Albuquerque. So the, the first image had just the mask on the animal in the zoo. But Later on, uh, I had uh, this beautiful photograph of the the trees, the, the aspen trees you're referring to, and thought it would be interesting to isolate the gorilla with the mask on and put that animal in that other landscape, uh, uh, as even mainly because of the severe contrast between the uh, the animal and the uh, uh, aspen trees. So that's how that that evolved. And this is part of a larger series of images? Yeah, it's a series of, I did a lot of animals with masks on. That came from putting the same kinds of masks on people. And some of those are very, even more shocking. (laughs) So they're both, you know, both. And then, you know, and and that came from uh, another series I did where I, I, uh, just went out into the natural environment and start taking pictures of plants and uh, trees and and doing that same process of, of taking the photos, putting them in the computer, cutting them in half, flipping the image, and creating uh, symmetry, for instance, from a, a branch on a tree as an example or a bush, and finding the same kind of faces or finding faces in that symmetry and then heightening it by putting my eyes in the, the appropriate location. So I, I start thinking of those as uh, entities, uh, spirits, or whatever that would be that I'm finding in the woods by creating the symmetry out of the, uh, the natural environment. Uh, but they actually do these very, very bizarre faces occurred. And then I did a further series using the same idea only photographing rocks and cliffs. You know, I call those rock faces. Uh, found the faces there also. So actually, though, that series came first. And then the, the mast uh, came from, uh, you know, after that. And I've done the same thing with uh, other objects and so forth. So again, it's the same process of taking one thing and thinking about where else it could go and letting it lead you on to new things. You say when you're talking about uh, this image in particular, and I think about the series, you say, I hope that these photo montages will inspire the viewers to imagine stories about the masks uh, and the animals who are wearing them. Tell me about wanting your viewers to imagine stories. Are, are you trying to provoke a, a completely new narrative or what, what are you after with that? Well, again, as, a, as an artist, I, I, uh, as I said before, I think it's uh, critical that the, the viewer participates uh, in the in the art and uh, becomes involved in it, 
and is inspired to uh, be more creative themselves. And part of that can be this idea of looking at something that you've never seen before, thinking, I think we just do this automatically. You know, what, what is that? You know, where did it come from? How did, why does it look that way? And in asking those questions, uh, I think we just naturally start to make up stories that can be very short, you know, brief stories or very long stories that, that, that stay with you for years. And uh, I think that's a, one of the most important things about art, that it, that it gives that to the viewer, you know, gives them something to think about. And it's not all defined, you know. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right there. I think, you know, far too often speaking about photography or any other art form, people will often stop at the image or the product, whatever it might be, and not really fully imagine what the possibilities are for the viewer. Um, and to put the, the viewer sort of forefront to say, you know, my goal here is not to create an excellent photograph, but is to provoke a certain creative response. That seems simple, but it's also a radical rethinking of your role as the artist. Um, yeah, I, you say later on that, you know, people... Go on. No, I'm just, again, saying that uh, for me, that's what I'm after in most cases. Uh, I don't want the thing to be completely def defined when you when you look at it, because then it's kind of, okay, now what? You know, a one-liner, you know, next. Uh, but in some cases, as I said, that, that can be important. If you want to make a really specific statement about a specific thing, that's fine, but uh, in in general, and I do that from time to time, but not very often. I, I prefer to uh, <clears throat> leave things open ended. I think it was on Facebook even today. You posted something that said, "See, I can take real pictures too." Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it 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 was a it was a desert landscape of some sort. Yeah, it was uh, actually, and and a one and a wonder and a wonderful picture too. Thanks. And that was done years ago. Well, there was just this controversy, you know, about. Well, what is a what is a real photo? Or what is a what is photography? Should should we be uh, yeah you know stuck in the mud <laughs> and just stick of photography in a conventional way and just get into the craft of of cameras and film and all that stuff, which is fine if that's what you want to do. But I I, re I see myself more as an image maker, not a photographer. I just happen to use a camera because it's a tool that's easy to use. Uh, but I, as I obviously often mix it with a, a computer, which is just another tool to create an image. So the, the ultimate goal for me is simply the image and not how it's done. Uh, I think too often people get hung up in the craft, the difference between craft and art. There's craft and then there's art. And craft can be art and art can be craft. But you don't have to put the two together. So I don't care how this stuff is made. I just wanted to the, the image to be really powerful and ex new and exciting. You well, know, you've certainly succeeded there. I'm curious because the stories are always so different. How did you get to be where you are today? I mean, how did how did the the 16 year old you become who you are and and, and get interested in design and images? I was born and raised in uh, Southern Illinois, about 70 miles uh, east of St. Louis. Missouri, and my both of my parents were artists, and they owned a, uh, of all things in Southern Illinois, a summer resort. We had a beautiful 50 acres of land out in the country, 
and rolling hills and uh, a Kaskaskia River on one edge of the property. And my father decided that he wanted to start a, well, he was actually a, a physical therapist first. And then he, he was working back in the 40s with uh, polio patients as a therapist. He wanted to do water therapy. So he built a little, he had this property, built a little lake on the property. And people start coming out there wanting to swim. And he started charging them admission. And then he built another two lakes and, and built cottages and made this little resort. And people would come out in the summer and swim and fish and picnic and get charged an admission. That's how we made a living for many years. But for me, I had this big, beautiful piece of property with no building codes or whatever. We didn't have much money, but <clears throat> I gave me an opportunity to start building things. I don't know why I started building structures, but uh, I guess because I had the opportunity. We had some lumber, and I started just putting things together and sculptures as well. And uh, my interest in that grew. And then I, I, I went to Southern Illinois University for my undergraduate work and be became uh, familiar with Bucky Fuller. And then I kind of went off in that whole direction of creating ef efficient shelters and so forth. As I mentioned before, I knew him and he was a great influence. And then uh, I went on to Washington University in St. Louis and did my, my master's work in uh, fine arts. So that's where everything kind of evolved for me. And I went out to California to at Cal Arts for a while. And my interest in architecture grew and grew. And, and then at some point I started to go back again to more of the fine arts side of things and, and merge them to where I am today. A great example of that was the M House, which is sort of the pinnacle of that merging of art and architecture, which was a real structure that you could live in. It looked like a big sculpture, but you could actually live in it it was designed so that you could change the shape of it. All the panels that were that made it up, it was a prefab structure that you could put together in many different ways. And once you put it together in one particular form, you could change it by moving the panels and shifting the, the shape of the structure to accommodate different needs and so forth. So the long process. It's a, a remarkable structure and certainly one of the, the best known works um, that you've got out there. Tell me about what's coming up next. What are you working on these days? And, and how is how is the virus affecting your world? Well, you know, it, it, I work all the time, so it hasn't affected it too much. And my wife, by the way, is uh, a very well-known uh, artist, again, with uh, photo-based art. Most of it's manip manipulated as well. Her work has been published all over the world, and she's won a lot of awards. We or renting a place right now in Santa Fe, uh, a studio, basically, work studio. And we work all the time, so nothing really has changed much except we have to wear masks when we go shopping. But we enjoy what we're doing so much. We don't have children, so we, we both just, you know, work constantly. And uh, I, I'm just always, you know, thinking of new projects and, and uh, trying to get them published and hoping to, to get some funding to build more of the stuff. The models I make are so realistic, it's basically like building the, the real thing, only on, you know, small scale. Well, it, it is a remarkable body of work and, and certainly uh, a collection that when I look at it, I find my own life reimagined and enlarged. So from at least this one person out there looking at your work, thank you. 
<laughs> it's been a pleasure talking with you today, sir. I, I hope the rest of the day and the rest of the season goes well for you. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I can imagine you would like to hear more about what we are currently working on. Later this year, we will be launching a quarterly printed photography magazine. It will be a beautifully designed, inspiring publication. I personally truly believe that excellent photography belongs on paper, hence the idea of frames. To find out more about frames and to join more than 14,000 photography enthusiasts who enjoy our weekly newsletter, go ahead and visit frames.photography. I would love to have you in our community. Thanks so much.